Welcome to Palm Vista Community Church as we continue our series in the letter of 2 Timothy. We've entitled the series, Guard the Faith. Guard the Faith. And this morning's message is from 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 to 8. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 to 8. And the message this morning is entitled, Preach the Word. Last week, we learned from 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 10 to 17, the value of God's Word. That God has given us His Word, breathed out by God, to encourage us, to correct us, to equip us for every good work. Corey preached that message, that we might value the Bible as God's word. This week, God is addressing now the preaching of his word. If we are to value God's word, then we are to value the preaching of God's word. And this text gives us the instructions of how to value the preaching of God's word. Are you there? 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 to 8. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded. Endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearance. I love behind the scenes shows. I love to watch the NBA when they have the section on mic'd up, like a microphone, and they put a mic on the coach, and we get to listen in to his instructions to his team at a crucial time of the game. I love that behind the scenes view. I love it when you read accounts of when two great world leaders shake hands and lean into each other when you find out what they actually said to each other. It's fascinating to me. This morning, God is mic'd up. And what God is saying, he's speaking to Pastor Timothy. And he's leaning in to Pastor Timothy. And he's giving him instructions. And he's got the mic on so that we can hear it. It's very instructive. For while this morning's text is primarily to pastors in their function as preachers, God intentionally wants to mic it up so that we can all hear it because it has implications for us. Here's the implication that it has for all of us. The main point of the text on the screen. Rejoice in Christ's preached word in light of his promised reward. Rejoice 
in Christ's preached word in light of his promised reward. Point one, Christ's preached word. Look at verse one with me, please. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead. So the mic is on. Paul has the mic. He's in a prison in Rome. He's about to die. He knows that he's going to be executed very soon. And he leans in to Timothy. He's in the huddle. It's in the fourth quarter of the game. A crucial game. It's a tie score. And he leans in and he's talking to Timothy. And we get to hear it. And it's not just Paul talking to Timothy, but it's God talking to every preacher, every man that's ever stood behind a pulpit that preached God's word. And he's talking to them and he wants you, church, to listen. Because the implications are for you and for the pastor. And he speaks to him in light of eternity. That's what it means here in verse 1 when he says, In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, the context for this message on how we should value the preached word is Christ, the returning king and judge. Eternity is in play. This is really important stuff. It's like when you're brought before the court. And I charge you in the presence of the court and the highest authority of the land. Only here it's in the presence of God, the highest authority in Jesus, the judge of all, and his coming, his appearing, and his kingdom. This passage was read at my ordination. I'm pretty sure it was read at Corey's ordination many years ago. Any pastor that has had this passage read at his ordination has received the solemn charge, preach The word, Christ's preached word. It is so solemn. It is so powerful. But you know what this word to us is? It's to preach it in the presence of God and Jesus Christ primarily. I preach, Corey preaches for an audience of one. Yes, we consider you. Yes, we pray how this word can impact you. Yes, we think about how it's going to apply to each family individually, how that's going to apply to you and you, young and old, male and female. But ultimately, in the last day, it is God himself who has justified me in Christ who is my audience. Why is it important for you to hear that? Because every pastor is tempted to preach for your approval. Every pastor is tempted to preach for your applause. Every pastor is tempted to preach to the audience. And the moment we do that, we violate this charge. For while we should preach with you in mind, and we should preach to apply the word to you in your life, we must always preach before God and God alone. And I ask you to pray for this pastor as he preaches, because he's human. And he can be tempted to be either encouraged by the smile on your face or discouraged by the frown on your face. Probably the greatest discouragement for me is not even the frown on your face. It's when your eyes are closed and your face has no expression. And there's funny noises coming out of your nose because you're snoring. Listen, there are men who preach to eat i.e. they do it just to earn a paycheck and be able to feed their families. And there are other men who eat to preach. Pray that we would be those men. 
It is a fire in our bones that comes from God. And it's for God. And it helps you because God is good. It's God's gift to you. Pray for us. In this charge to pastors, in this sort of job description for pastors, there are two groups of commands. The first group speaks to the pastor's work. That's verse 2. The second group speaks to the pastor's way of life. Verse 2. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. As you listen to the coach, talk to the, the, the member of that team, he gives the pastor, God gives the pastor these commands about his work. On the screen, pastors are to be ready in season and out of season to preach. What does that mean? That means we preach when it's convenient, when it's not. We preach, we preach when the auditorium is full and when it's not. We preach when we feel like it and when we don't. We labor with urgency and readiness. That's what that means. Reprove. Our work is to take God's word and bring it to bear on the lives of all of us, beginning with us, so that our wrong beliefs and ungodly lifestyles are corrected. That's what that reprove means. It's similar to what Corey preached last week from 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. When he preached on the value of the word of God, that the word of God is, is to be used to teach and reprove and correct. Now, this week, God is telling the pastor, you use the word of God for the way that I designed the word of God. Rebuke. The the word of God is given to us and we should preach in such a way that we would encourage those who are wandering from God to turn and walk in God's ways and will. To exhort that, that we would preach the word of God in such a way that you would leave here encouraged when you come here anxious, fearful, discouraged, depressed. That we would exhort you by God's word, not my word, God's word, and with patience and teaching. Again, there's an echo here of what Corey said last week. We preach God's word and we teach God's word with patience, believing that God's word will always accomplish God's work. This, the word of God is powerful and it will always bear fruit in our lives. The second group of imperatives or commandments to the preacher address his way of life. And we see that in verse 5, this next list on the screen. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. This now is God's command to the pastor, to the preacher, of how his life should be. The first one. Always be sober-minded. This, this means that pastors and preachers should always be alert, a moral alertness, a moral presence of mind. Endure suffering. All that saying is this. All who desire to live godly lives in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. If we're preaching the word, we're going to suffer for it. So what he's saying is don't become bitter, pastor. 
Don't become, don't become discouraged and want to quit when things get difficult. Do the work of an evangelist. What does that mean? That doesn't necessarily mean the office of the evangelist. It means preach the word. That is, that's evangelism. For the pastor, he is preaching the word. For example, if you are here this morning and you are not a believer, I I get to preach the gospel to you. I get to say to you how you view God's word and how you view the preached word is very important because Jesus is coming back. And as the truth goes forth, God the Holy Spirit will give you understanding. That's what it means to do the work of an evangelist. All right, so now you've heard what it means for the pastor to hear this command from God. What are the implications for you as a member? Well, we find those implications in verses 3 to 4, and we find them by way of contrast. Look at verses 3 and 4. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. So therefore, what does it mean for you to rejoice in the preached word of Christ? It means that you would endure sound teaching. Next, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. What does it mean for you to rejoice in the preached word of Christ? It means that you will not accumulate teachers for yourself. You will not download podcasts or watch things on TV or accumulate your favorite teacher who's simply preaching to you what you want to hear to justify your lifestyle. But rather, you would accumulate for yourselves preachers and teachers of truth, sound doctrine. And look at verse 4. And will turn away from listening to the truth. What does it mean for you to rejoice in the preached word of Christ? It means that you will turn toward the truth and wander off into myths. It means that you won't wander off into myths, myths, but you will turn toward the truth. See, here's the good news, church. The work of the Holy Spirit in your life, if you are a believer is to give you an appetite that you might value God's word, that you might value the preaching of God's word, that you would want to hear the truth, that you would want to have teachers that are giving you sound teaching, and that you would, you would move and lean into the truth and not wander into myths, that you would rejoice in Christ's preached word, point two, in light of his promised reward. Christ's promised reward, reward in verse six, We see here, Paul is about to die. Read it with me, verse 6. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. Paul knows that as a Roman citizen, he cannot be crucified. But he also knows that he's been judged guilty of treason, and he is going to be executed. So he probably logically is thinking the way they're going to execute me is they're going to take me outside of Rome and they're going to cut my head off. That's not unusual in the Middle East. What we see today with ISIS is barbaric, but it like didn't start with ISIS. Remember what David did to Goliath when he defeated him? He cut his head off. That's a sign of victory. And so Paul figures, I'm going to get my head cut off, probably outside of Rome. And in fact, history tells us that on the Ostian Way, right outside of Rome, Paul was made to kneel down on the ground, and they cut his head off, and his body fell, and his blood poured out on the ground. And that's why here, before he dies, he says, my life is being poured out as a drink offering. A drink offering in the Old Testament was when the wine 
was poured around the base of the altar upon which the lamb was sacrificed. So what's Paul saying? Shortly, my blood's going to be poured out like that wine at the base here. I'm going to die. But I don't die hopeless. I die in light of the promise reward of Christ. Look at verse 7. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. What's going on here? Let me tell you what's going on. Paul is leaving a testimony at his funeral for all of us to read because he knows that Pastor Timothy will not be able to come to Rome for his funeral. There will not be a funeral for Paul. He will be executed as a criminal, as a terrorist. And at his funeral, before his funeral, he is giving a testimony of his life. This this reminds me of what I experienced last week, where I went to the funeral of my father-in-law. Desi's father, Ralph Rossitti, passed away about a week and a half ago. And last week we had his funeral. And it was very, very impactful. As we went to that funeral home in Phoenix, Arizona... And as his four children, Desi being the youngest of four, stood up and bore testimony of Ralph Rossitti's life, that Ralph Rossitti, as an adult, repented and believed in Jesus. And each of them, with tears in their eyes, said, and we're so grateful for Dad and the, and the example he was and the servant that he was. And they spoke on and on about their father. And they honored him. And that's what's going on here. Only it's before he dies. And it's for our benefit and Timothy's benefit. And these are the three things that Paul says about his life. Number one, that he fought the good fight. Number two, that he finished the race. And number three, that he kept the faith. He fought the good fight. He was a spiritual warrior. He understood that the fight was a fight to guard the faith. And he had laid down his life to guard the faith. And by extension, he's saying, Timothy, I pass this on to you. Guarding the faith isn't just making sure that it's correct, but it's passing it on to other people. It's passing it on to their children and your children's children. That's why I rejoice in the dedication of little Maya. And I love the fact that she's right over there in her aunt's arms. And my little granddaughter is right there. And though they may not understand all they do, and Jasmine may come home today and say, Mommy, why was Abuelo screaming and yelling this afternoon? One day... At my funeral, I pray Jasmine stand up as a woman, maybe with children, and say, I'd like to honor my abuelo because he fought the good fight. Finish the race. Notice that it doesn't say, I won the race. Most of us want to say, I won the race. No, he says he finished the race. The race that God gave him. And by grace, God enabled Paul to finish the race. And Paul is about to break through the tape. He is going to die in just a few days, maybe months. And he's saying, listen, I finished the race, Timothy. Because God is the one who called me to this race. And he gave me the grace to run it. And I kept the faith. I'm a steward of the faith. I've guarded it. I've I've given it to you. Now give it to others, Timothy. What will be said at your funeral? What words will be said at your funeral? What words do you want said at your funeral? I pray that for all of us, it would be that this man or this woman fought the good fight. They loved Jesus. They finished the race. They may not have come in first, but they finished the race. They were men and women who kept 
the faith. Paul lived today for that day. Paul lived today for that day, and that's what it says in verses 8 and 9. Look at them with me. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous of, judge, will award to me on that day. And in my Bible, that, the word day is capitalized because it's the day of judgment. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. What motivated Paul was that he trusted that God would give him what? What does it say in verse 8? A crown of righteousness. What's that crown of righteousness? Well, in Paul's day, it was a garland that was placed on the head of those who competed in the Greek games, the Olympic games. And so Paul is saying, I trust God for a medal that's far greater than an Olympic gold medal that is awarded to me when I compete. I trust God for the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, that's Jesus, will award me on that day. Here is what motivated Paul. Here's what motivates us. Here, dear unbeliever, is the gospel. It's that we are made righteous in Christ. Not because we deserve it. Not because we earned it. But Christ has given us his righteousness that he won by his perfect life and that on the cross he died to take the punishment for my unrighteousness and the great exchange occurs. I receive his righteousness. He takes my unrighteousness and he rose from the dead to assure my forgiveness of sins and he ascended into heaven and promises his reward that one day all who repent and believe will receive that righteousness and ultimately the crown of righteousness on the day of his judgment when the righteous judge comes and judges righteously. And those in Christ get the crown of righteousness, not their righteousness, Christ's. But those who do not receive the righteous judgment. Here's here's the appeal to all of us, church. Here's my appeal, more importantly, God's appeal. That we would fix our eyes on the righteous judge. And that we would say, oh Lord, show me the value of your word, this word here, that teaches me of your righteousness, which is rewarded to those who repent and believe in you. And may I trust in that righteous reward from the righteous judge. Dear unbeliever, my appeal to you is this, that today God would give you the grace to see this word, that this gospel word would penetrate your soul And that you would say, Lord, I repent of my ways. I believe in your righteousness. Please save me. Here's my prayer. I pray that in two weeks on Palm Sunday, you would be one of those who would be baptized. I pray that God would speak to you. You could speak to me or Corey or anybody else in this church. And we'd love to talk with you. That God would do a work in your life and you would know what it is to be forgiven by Christ Jesus the Lord. Dear believer... Here's my appeal to you, that this morning you would rejoice in Christ's preach word in light of his promised reward. I pray that God, the Holy Spirit, would put in you an appetite for the word of God. It's the work of the Holy Spirit because of the righteousness of Christ. 
That, that as you would leave today, you would be encouraged to read the word. You'd be encouraged to prepare your heart for the word. As you plan for next Sunday, you would be encouraged to think about Sunday morning. How can I get there early? How can I get there and drop my kids off and be seated so that at 1030 we're, we're praying and then, and then we're worshiping and my heart is leaning forward into God. That there would be this rejoicing in Christ's preached word. This excitement about coming to God. That you would talk about the sermon afterwards. That you would read 2 Timothy chapter 4 verses 1 to 8. And that you would talk about it with your friends this afternoon. That you would go to community group. This week we have men's group at my house. That you would discuss it. How can we apply it in our lives? That you would meet in smaller groups. The Catalyst Youth. The Equip meetings. Maybe one-on-one meetings. That there would be a rejoicing in Christ's preach word because you value God's word. And if you're sitting there thinking, oh, Al, I want that, but I'm not living that. Great. You're perfectly positioned for God's grace. (laughs) You're perfectly positioned for it. Jesus, who died for our sins. Jesus, who called us when we were enemies of his. How much more, now that we're his friends, dear believer, will equip us and enable us to live that kind of life. That the word is central in our lives so that on that day when someone's talking about us at our funeral, they would say, listen, that man, that woman loved the Lord, loved loved Jesus, and because he loved Jesus, and Jesus is the word incarnate, he loved the word, and he loved the word, and he loved the preach word, and he didn't just talk about it, but he sought to live it out. She sought to live it out. It was central to her life. It spoke to how she considered how she should live her relationships, her finances, her very life. That is possible this morning by the grace of God. Because God is for us. Because the righteous judge died to make us righteous and one day will give us the crown of righteousness that he qualified us to receive. Isn't he good? And he wants to encourage you. So this is what I'd like to ask you to do. In a moment, I'm going to pray. If you would say to me, hey, Al, I just like a little prayer for that. I'd like someone to just join with me in prayer that my heart would be moved by the Spirit of God and that God, the Holy Spirit, would increase my appetite for the Word, that I would rejoice in the preached Word of Christ in light of His reward. I just ask you to come forward for prayer when we stand and begin to worship. So let's pray. Lord God, I thank you for your goodness. I thank you for your mercies. Lord, I pray right now that you would give us much grace. Lord, even as we pray, Father, I I just ask for your goodness, your mercies. Jesus, I pray, resurrected Lord, ascended Lord, that you would motivate our hearts by grace, righteous judge, to love your word to rejoice in Christ, your preach word, as we're reminded and believe in your promised reward. Lord, help us to do that. Oh, Father, help us, I pray. Give us your mercy and your grace. Dear Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. If you would like prayer, in a moment we're going to stand. Gary's going to lead us in a final song, 10,000 Reasons. Come forward. Corey and I will be here. We'd love to pray for you. Maybe you'll want to pray with those that are around you. But let's seek the Lord. Let's lean into the Lord this morning, shall we?
So let's stand, church. If you would like prayer, come on down as we sing 10,000 Reasons. Thank you.